2: You're listening to Pretty Much Pop a Culture podcast today discussing Mayor of East Town, where the Wooter is always cool. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, a minor <laughs> player in the extended Erica Spires universe, whom you would never expect to be the real killer.
1: I'm Erica Spires, and I thought I was watching the second season of Mr. Mayor, starring Ted Danson, but this time with Kate Winslet, and I was got pretty depressed. And
0: I am Brian Hurt, and I'm a Mayor superfan with some superfan theories about who really did it. Don't believe what they told you in the last episode. Hey, let's not
2: reveal what happens in the last episode until we say we're going to. Okay, <laughs> so that sounds good. It. You can you can, uh, can we
0: reveal there's a murder mystery? I
2: think we can reveal uh, quite a lot about what the structure and premise of this show is. In fact, why don't you do that?
0: Mirror of Easttown is a program that aired on HBO. We think it's a limited one season, but I guess that remains to be determined. It's a murder mystery set in the outskirts of Philadelphia starring Kate Winslet as a grizzled lady detective trademark SNL parody sketch who is dealing with her life in shambles and also a murder in a small town. And it is great if you're listening because you've seen it. You are in for a fun discussion about pretty depressing people. And if you haven't, go see it because odds are, What's happening to them will make your life seem way more cheerful.
2: <laughs> can this podcast not also serve the function of people who are not in touch with that piece of the zeitgeist? We'll clue you in, you know, make you sound like you've watched it. Give you enough information you can bullshit your way through.
0: And we wouldn't be talking about it if it was just an average murder mystery show, because they are dime a dozen. This one is different, special, how, why... Wherefore, Mayor of Easttown and not Broadchurch and all the Broadchurch wannabes.
1: how why, and I'll tell you it's because it's h b o
0: we didn't do one on the undoing. We discussed that in our
2: after talk because the undoing was basically bad, even though it had a lot of nice elements and it was enjoyable, but it was kind of you felt slimy about it, whereas this one you feel like this is a gritty drama, even the fact that there was a murder mystery as some of the articles we read said, it might be a little superfluous that it was just the thing to draw you in to make you read about small town
0: dynamics.
1: Now, did you guys grow up? You guys did not grow up in a small town, right?
0: We grew up in a suburb. Yeah, there's not nothing, nothing in common with this.
1: So I've lived in enough places and traveled enough places to see that this is just small town America. And maybe even more than small town America. I wouldn't say it's small town anywhere. But my friends who are British say that, you know, there are a lot of commonalities there too. Everybody knows everything about everyone. And yet there are really gross secrets as well. I think this actually did a great job of showing that and showing why it's complicated and why you might keep secrets within the family. Whereas I used to not really understand that growing up in a very small town. I was like, why should I keep any secrets? Everybody knows everything already. And then as I've grown older, I've seen there were some secrets in my town that I was unaware of. And it affects people in a way that can damage what they feel is their whole legacy, which is not just themselves and their children, but their ancestors and anybody who may come after them for years to come.
0: I think that's right, that the small town aspect of this plays a really important role in how the whole story is constructed and how we understand the main character, Mare, played by Kate Winslet. The first time I ever went to a small town, or really when I was old enough to kind of be paying attention, it was in little Harvard, Illinois, real close to the border with Wisconsin. And the person I was there with was telling me who lived in every house. And I thought it was like a magic trick because... I barely knew my neighbors in my Chicago suburb. And of course, when you live in a big city, you don't even know the people in your apartment next to you, in part because that's the only way to get any privacy, is to have no knowledge of the people who live on top of you. So it really rang true how she is this very experienced cop who spent her whole life in this town, but she really did truly know and care about her neighbors in a meaningful way, which, of course, they At best, they have things they wouldn't want others to know because it's embarrassing. And at worst, people are monsters.
1: Yeah. The very first episode does a great job showing you that just immediately how keyed in she is in the small town life and being, I always want to say, this is why one beef with the show is that it's called Mayor of Easttown because her name's Meredith, right? Or is it? I think it's Meredith.
0: I don't think it is. Marianne? Marianne. Marianne?
1: Marianne? The fact that it's named Mariposa, mayor of East town, M-A-R-E. You can't get away from feeling like it's M-A-Y-O-R because she also is in like, she's not city government, but she is, she is a detective, right? So it feels confusing, even though it shouldn't be. But you find out even in the very beginning how connected she is because she goes to help out. You're not sure at first, but she goes to help out a man who is a drug addict and she knows his sister very well. Then she also, and gets injured in the meantime. So she's actually doing her job, but then is so involved with the family that it doesn't quite turn out the way that you think it's going to because she cares about the family and she goes to somebody else's house an older woman's house and the older woman you can tell is one of those kind of busybodies who calls her for every little thing that she needs and so this had a very slow burn for the first episode it wasn't until the end of the first episode that you find out that there is a murder and that's what this is going to be about
0: i thought it had a slow burn for seven episodes and this is a seven-episode show.
1: You knew there was going to be a mystery. You didn't know what the mystery was going to be until the end of the first episode.
0: Oh, you didn't? You didn't see the victim and say, you're dead, sweetheart. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew who, who was going to get it.
1: Did I know? I mean, I'm trying to remember. If I, I'm, I'm very, I love to predict. I'm a, probably a little bit annoying to watch TV shows with because I'm like, this is going to happen. And then I'm usually right. But I can't remember if I knew she was going to get it. Now, if you've seen the SNL parody, you already know who's going to get it.
0: I studiously avoided the SNL parody until I had seen the entire series. But in any case, did you like it? I mean, I, I'm just trying to get a sense from the both of you. If this was a show that you are, I, mean, I guess Erica has kind of showed her cards a little bit. She did, I think. Yes,
1: I did. There were times it was slower than I would have liked, but I know that that's kind of the vibe they were going for. And I really liked that the mystery kept happening. It reminded me a lot of Broadchurch. You know that it's somebody in the community and you think you have it figured out and then it ends up changing. So I liked all of that. And the acting beyond that, the people were so likable and the actors were so great that that held your attention. You know, it didn't have to be a busy show.
2: Mark? I think it was comparable to Broadchurch. I regard both of them as kind of milestones. And by default, I feel like anything that... Has a murder in it is kind of chintzy, kind of exploitationist, kind of mm-hmm. lowbrow in some way. And maybe you could convince me, <laughs> maybe if I sat down with the proper people, they could convince me that this actually also should be put in that category, but it felt less manipulative, even though it did go through like, I don't know, the series of suspects. I'm sort of thinking about my reaction to the killing, yep. which was another, its first season was, you know, another drawn out, but it had like, we're going to manufacture a, a pretty much every episode, one false lead in who the murderer actually is and really build that up in ways that waste a lot of people's time and were not ultimately worth it because it was a larger setting. Whereas this, like if they put time into peripheral characters, that was sort of worth it. Like they could have even put more time into her friend who had the addict brother or the cancer survivor mother of the girl who'd been kidnapped. Like, these are all interesting, compelling characters. And I didn't mind that there was time spent on those things, even though a lot of them didn't end up playing into the central mystery.
1: Right. And it almost, like Rogers, makes you wonder if there could be a second season that has to do with anybody else in that world. Even if it's not Mayor's show, per se, anymore. I don't know if Kate Winslet would want to deal with that accent for another year
0: (laughs) that accent mark it's so good to know that murder makes something low bro because i've always argued that hamlet and crime and punishment is pretty much just (laughs) cheap thrills so (laughs) if it was like who committed that crime in the
2: crime and punishment it's the murder mystery part i suppose that is the thing that is the either the murder mystery or the uh sensationalism surrounding the murder. The fact that they didn't go heavier on the press angle, like it was something that was tormenting Mare that she had not found this girl that had been kidnapped for a full year. They could have gone much heavier on that sensationalist aspect of dealing with tabloid journalists. And I, you know, that would have been less interesting to me.
1: They could have, and they could have shown things like rapes occurring and they never did that. Right. I'm not forgetting anything, Yeah, which I think is fantastic. And that helped it go from something that we're trying to not say the word lowbrow, right? Since the beginning of this show.
2: Oh, I forgot. I forgot our own rule. That is a totally racist, terrible term to use.
1: But no, I think that that helped elevate the type of entertainment it was because they didn't show that and they didn't need to show it. We all know. We all know that's terrible.
0: But it was going on during the show, I mean.
1: Yeah, it was going on, but that's also reality. But I don't need to see the rapes happen, you know? And more than that, I know one of the girls who was in it. Like, I know her peripherally. She's done Broadway stuff. And the fact that she didn't have to do that kind of scene, but still got to do a great role.
0: She was one of the kidnapping?
1: Makes me so happy for me, for her. Yeah, Katie Bailey.
0: And here we enter the spoiler portion of our podcast, apparently. Yes, let's do that.
1: Sorry. No, that's fine.
0: I think we gotta do it.
1: I didn't say if she was alive or dead.
0: <laughs> you almost feel
2: like because that is revealed, is it only the second to last episode or is it the third to last episode where they're third revealed, to last. Okay, that they reveal that there have been three crimes or really one of them happens during the show and that for a while you thought they might be related. But they don't really make us waste mental energy on that too much. I feel like, uh, you know, there might be some investigation of suspects with that in mind. But yes, then they end up diffusing one of the things to let you know that the main mystery has yet to be solved. But this thing that at the very beginning seemed to be the most important thing, like, okay, this is, we can get this out of the way.
1: The other thing about taking us the wrong direction with the Katie Bailey case was okay because of how everything played out in the scene reveal in episode four of six, I believe. The big, the big bang that happened, right? And I think that made the red herring worth it because it wasn't just about misleading us. It was about developing characters even further.
0: If you want to go watch that big bang, I think it's in episode five of seven.
1: Oh, five of seven. Oh, there are s- seven episodes. Yes, five
0: of seven.
2: Don't watch The Big Bang Theory instead.
0: No, <laughs> no, good. it's the same thing. Well, it's just a rehash. So I described myself as a super fan of this show in my intro, and I really wasn't a super fan watching it. In fact, I was kind of supremely irritated with some aspects of it. Episode seven completely changed my understanding of the show and won me over, and I completely changed my viewing of the first six, and I was no longer irritated, and I was so happy with how this show came to its conclusion. So with that, we are in full spoiler mode, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I appreciated this whole woman in full thing they were doing with Mare, and she has this complicated life, and all these things going on with her family, and her ex, and her son who has killed himself, and a strange daughter, and the rest of it. And it seemed so gratuitous. Really, I was irritated that I had to watch these scenes, and not enough of a murder mystery that seemed like it really could expand to fill these episodes better, but they weren't letting it. And then we had the super odd structure to the last episode of the crime being solved at the very beginning, and then this, what should have been kind of epilogue, or denouement, took place over the course of the entire episode. And she's living her life with these people who we've set up. And in the process of living her life, and in being a cop who really cares about the people around her and is connected with the people around her, she starts getting these little clues that tell her how the mystery was solved wrong. And a little interaction outside the bathroom at a restaurant. And someone calling her because he's confused because his wife had died. All these little things are starting to fall into place of how it was missolved, and it allows her to solve it correctly. And did it need to take seven hours to happen? Well, maybe not, but I really appreciated that setup and was found myself kind of applauding while it was happening, saying, you know, I didn't think there was really a purpose to this, and I see that there is, and maybe it's not how I would have most liked to have seen it play out, but I was so satisfied. It seemed like such an honest way for the uh, crime to have been incorrectly revealed at the beginning of episode seven and then correctly revealed by the time episode seven was over.
1: I went in originally feeling that, boy, that could have ended a few times. But last episodes, I give them grace because they're very difficult to do. But that's a really interesting way to put it. It's more of that. Now, it's not a popular way to do it, right? To have a long epilogue. I don't think a lot of shows have really gone into that. It's usually like a big reveal and then the show's over. Pretty quickly after. So, yeah, I guess it was true to the name of it being about her and her connection with the town. Also seeing her growth and she wasn't saved by one single thing in her life. It wasn't just her family. It wasn't just the man that she met. It wasn't just solving the crime. You saw a woman who was fighting through all those things during the whole thing and none of them came out and perfectly resolved. But she was still better.
0: Right. She was doing the work. She was going to therapy. It's not like she just had a, an epiphany. It was, it was a grind. And reaching some kind of new understanding with her estranged friend, Lori, who's just an utter wreck. I, I thought that was so beautifully done. I really feel like this whole thing was built around the last episode. And I think that's why it was so successful for me and why I am a self-proclaimed super fan. But by God, if they make a season two, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm turning in my super fan gun and badge. The show does not need one. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I won't acknowledge it. But what if it was
2: Siobhan gets pregnant and she gets shot? And
1: <laughs> I think if it's going to be anything, it's going to be about Carrie and or her grandson, Mary's grandson. Because he was already showing signs of like Tourette's and stuff. And I I think that there could be some development there or with Carrie coming out of rehab and or with the guy that they arrested, who was kidnapping the girls. You got to wonder if that was a ring of folks. That was one of my theories early on was that Lori's husband may have been involved in the ring of girls who were being taken, but it ended up being just the one guy, I guess.
0: Right, I, I guess the sequel would have to involve Mare as the central character. Just the rest don't make any sense to me, but that doesn't make any sense to me either. So I guess it could be Siobhan of Berkeley, though. Siobhan of Berkeley? Of all the characters I didn't care about, I think she was kind of high on my list. I think the personal interactions were most interesting when they were Mare and someone else. And as soon as it was really just someone else, that was kind of like, eh, I don't care all that much. No,
1: I'm totally with you on that. However, I think that was a good point when I kept wondering, why are we spending so much time with Laurie and her family and Laurie's extended family? And I think that was one of the biggest reveals to me of where the real issue was with the murder.
0: After episode seven was aired, someone posted a picture of the son, Ryan, from episode one doing homework on a Friday night and said, I never trusted this kid when I saw him <laughs> doing algebra on a Friday night. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you crack the code.
2: I was annoyed at the time. I like the dynamic, the inclusion of the boyfriend character Dylan, you know, that he was yeah. an early suspect and was just that character was properly and his psychotic girlfriend. You know, I kind of like the idea of exploring characters who Are being the complete shitheads. And then, like, what is that? Especially when it has bad consequences (laughs) or bad things happen that make their actions that would have been merely bad, you know, look terrible. And so that whole thing with the girlfriend's father freaking out at Mare, like I, I really liked all those dynamics. But when it got to the burning of the diaries part,
1: what was that?
2: That was too much. And the fact that he then he and his friend got super mad at the best friend of the victim, I'm trying to remember that character's name. Is that Jess? I don't know. There are too many characters on IMDB here. We're like chasing her under a car because she was getting cold feet about the fact that they had burned the diary. It was too much. Nothing really explained because it had already been revealed at that point that he wasn't the real father, right? So they're just gonna do genetic testing eventually and figure out who the real father is, is kind of was my assumption. So going to these great lengths to preserve this part of the secret. And having that kind of fury when one of your party that was going to keep the secret is not going to keep the secret, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me.
0: And they burnt the diaries, but then Jess saves the one picture that reveals what was in the diaries. And why? And I feel like that might be the weakest part of the show is that the mystery wasn't as airtight as it probably should have been. If you're going to go to all these lengths to... Tell it over, well, essentially six episodes and then solve it and have five dead ends that we explore. Do a little bit better job with it and or don't kind of leave these oddball question marks hanging out there.
2: Before we go on, I'd like to stop for a moment and tell you about HelloFresh, which gives you fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. It lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and make home cooking easy, fun and affordable which is why it's America's number one meal kit. Now, you're probably familiar with these meal kit services. It's definitely preferable to ordering in because these are going to be fancy meals like you get at a good restaurant, like balsamic fig sirloin, and yet over 72% cheaper than the average restaurant meal. But did you know that it's actually even 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store? These are designed by professional chefs, but you don't have to be a professional chef to make them. They're very simple, easy. You can get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less, or try the quick and easy meals, which are 15 to 20 minute dinners, or they've got quick lunches, quick breakfasts, snacks, desserts, etc. There are 50 menu and market items available each week, including options to fit your food preferences, whether they be vegetarian, pescatarian, low carb-smart. And no matter what you choose, every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. Ordering your meals is very simple. There's no requirement on how much you have to buy. You can skip weeks whenever you like, change the size. So, fresh, high-quality ingredients, super convenient, and surprisingly cheap. I find HelloFresh is a wonderful way to break up the kind of stuff that I would normally make out of boxes, say. It gets me to try new things. I can make it a family activity to make the meals. Please go to HelloFresh.com slash 14pretty and use the code 14pretty for up to 14 free meals, plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 14pretty with code 14pretty. Again, that's up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit.
1: Now we've come to the portion of podcast within a podcast. Is it incest or is it legal? How'd you guys feel about that?
0: I don't think we know their relationship. It was a second cousins once removed. Either first cousins once removed or second cousins once removed, depending on how John is a cousin to her father. Because we don't actually, do they share a, Grandfather?
2: I thought they were brothers until I just was reading about this. So I thought it was way more disgusting.
0: They say it that they're cousins. Either way, it's statutory rape, Uh regardless of whether it's incest, because she would have been 16 or younger based on the timeline. So I think that is grosser than the incest part.
1: Do you think the ear thing had anything to do with the fact that they were too closely related? The child's ear surgery like we don't know what's going on with the ear surgery or why he needed it right so i don't know if there was any sort of but
2: everybody knows that children's of incest have two heads that's what i was
1: well i mean there are various genetic deformities that can happen that's what i was wondering if, mm-hmm. if that was if that was supposed to be a clue of some sort
0: i think they would have gone with something a little less common than needing ear tubes because that seems like it's a pretty common thing to me
1: ear tubes Is that what it was?
0: Wasn't there, we're gonna, he was getting infections because his Mm -hmm. ear canals were too small. And so they, I think they do something to the ears to prevent infections. This is the medical podcast (laughs) within the podcast. Within the podcast, did you find
2: having, what is the, the character that plays her partner? Her enforced partner.
1: Why can't I think of his name? I think he's so good.
2: So his character's name was Colin. Evan Peters is the actor. Yeah. I still, have a few too many associations with him. You know, he's already a movie star in playing Quicksilver and X-Men. Yeah. But he's been on too many seasons of American Horror Story playing these exaggerated, just silly characters. So he's sort of too much of a comic actor for me to have thoroughly enjoyed in that role as good as he is.
1: I thought he was excellent. And I thought... I would agree with you normally, Marcus. I like Evan Peters. I've always liked Evan Peters. But sometimes I'm like, man, he's just so oddly specific. And I don't know, like, I feel like I see too much Evan Peters in things rather than seeing him get into the characters. Like, sure, he can put on an accent. But then the more I watched it, I was like, no, he is going head to head or toe to toe with Kate Winslet in all of these scenes, right? And they are complimenting each other. I thought it was very well done with the two of them.
0: He clearly can only play a lovable goofball. I don't know why they keep typecasting him. I mean, he's in that new Jeffrey Dahmer one as Jeffrey Dahmer, so... I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. 2022, according to IMDb. He did a great job. I really loved him in this. I was a little irritated that he was introduced as this great detective and he kept always having the dumb ideas that Merrick kept correcting. And that was nicely paid off when it was revealed that he wasn't such a standout detective and he had kind of faked his way into his big story and his medal that he won or whatever it was. That was a nice payoff. And all in all, It was nice to see him and it was sad to see him go, but I thought that was pretty well earned too. And he was, as known faces went, and there were a few in this. There were a lot of people who I didn't recognize, but of course recognized him, recognized Gene Smart, who I thought did a fine job, really enjoyed her in this.
1: America's sweetheart, Gene Smart.
2: Roy from The Office, who's now completely made the transition to playing
0: like lovable characters, not like the asshole. He was, he played a deaf, quarterback in The Replacements. He was quite ah. lovable in that.
1: Wait, who are you talking about The Office? David
0: Denman is the actor's name. Who Roy was, of Pam and Roy. Who played her ex-husband.
1: Oh, yeah. I recognized him from Parenthood, which he was also very good in.
2: So I'm missing a lot of his intervening work
0: post-office. I thought Guy Pierce, however, was kind of a one-trick throwaway character. I think he existed to give her this full life, and he also existed to make the show seem like it was set in our universe and not its own little weird universe, because he's an HBO Max watcher, right? He's someone who doesn't eat the cheesesteaks and who is, has a PhD and does his thing and I think is supposed to represent us in a way as mm-hmm. outsiders. But the fact that he could kind of come and go as the story required and didn't seem to have his own plot thread. Every time he was on, I just was kind of ready for that part of the show to just move on to the next thing. This doesn't seem to be doing a lot for me.
2: I don't recall feeling that way because she was such a messed up character that even though the romantic subplot would usually be just kind of like, oh, I guess we need to have a romantic subplot in this thing. The fact that she was so troubled and unapproachable made it seem like it was worthwhile spending some time on that.
1: What is the name? I'm, look, I'm trying to look him up. The guy who was accused of killing his dad, the older man.
2: I don't know what you're talking about at all. <laughs> I don't know
0: what you're talking about either, Erica. Okay,
1: the guy, Lori's husband's dad.
0: John Ross's father. Old man Ross.
1: The man who plays the father of John Ross was one of my favorite characters in this whole thing. I looked at Drew and I said, I feel like this guy is a local hire. Because his accent, I shouldn't say accent, the whole dialect, the whole th- way that he came across in that felt incredibly genuine. And like when he started to cry about his sons, I was just like, my heart was breaking for him. So I think he was awesome.
2: I believe this is Gordon Clapp, player of, I just saw what what the character's name was.
0: He is a character actor who has 101 credits going back to the 70s, and he is an Emmy winner.
1: Holy moly. So he's not at all a local. He's just a fucking great actor.
0: For NYPD Blue back in 1993. So there you go. But he is from New Hampshire, which is also east of the Mississippi.
1: <laughs> which is also not Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I thought, wow, he was great. I want to see him and Gene Smart in something, just the two of them.
2: I don't know what there is about Gene Smart that kind of annoys me. <laughs> just that I should really like her more than I do.
1: Is it that everybody's telling you how great she is?
2: No, it was before that. I think she just has played some like, you know, like the Handmaid's Tale with the woman who plays the Aunt Aunt Lydia. What? So Jean Smart at some point played an Aunt Lydia-like character in something and now was probably too good at it. And now I sort of despise her and everything else. I think that something happened there (laughs) that ruined her for me. So I will figure out what show that was at some point.
1: Well, we need to see this new HBO series Hacks to see how good she is in that because she's supposed to be fantastic as well.
0: We're we supposed to act surprised when she's fantastic, or should Mark act surprise because he doesn't like her for some reason? Because he saw her play Nurse Ratchet, and now he just hates her.
2: I see she was on Frasier at some point. It was probably that.
1: More recently, Fargo. She was great. She was the toughest
2: nails mob. Lost leader woman mm-hmm. in Fargo. I mean, maybe that is the kind of character that I'm just associating with her with. I enjoyed her scenes in this, the comic stuff, but it was hard for me to get past. I wish it had been maybe an actor I didn't recognize doing that part.
0: Hmm. This really was a mix of faces we recognized and some who absolutely did not at all.
2: Well, and I love Julianne Nicholson in every other thing that I have seen her in, and she was She's wonderful. very underused in this. What? You know, of course,
1: underused.
2: Well, that's how it felt for 80 percent of the series (laughs) until it is actually revealed that it is her family that is at the center of this thing. And then you're like, oh, that's why they cast such an A-list character actor to do this part as opposed to someone random that she's not just the friend who's showing up.
1: So here's something interesting about Julianne Nicholson thinks IMDb. You remember how she looked in this show, which they weathered everybody. Let's be honest. They weathered everyone. Mm -hmm. Julianne Nicholson had a modeling career in Paris when she was younger. They took this woman who has such an interesting, pretty look in real life, and boy, they just let her go, and she let herself go. I give so much credit to women, especially women of a certain age, who allow themselves to look bad on screen, or just to look normal on screen. Not even bad, just bad in Hollywood standards.
0: Though there is, not to be cynical about that, but here I go, I guess. There is this idea of hagging yourself up for an award. True. Right, and there are examples of pretty glamorous women actors who have done that and have gotten their Oscar that way. And I know this is a TV show, but not to say that this is... Emmy bait but I could easily see the show getting awards when that time comes along and I could see her getting one really based again if if you had a big part of episode seven good for you because that was where it all came together and she definitely did it was kind of puzzling that she had such a small role maybe I should have figured it was going to be a bigger role based on who it was
1: you know Kate Winslet actually didn't look bad it was just that her hair had grown out other than that She just had like a normal woman, like 45-year-old woman's weight, normal wrinkles. And she told them, let me look that way. Don't edit this out. To me, as a woman and as just an actor, seeing people say that, and a lot of people get work done. So maybe she has in the past as well. But the fact that she's advocating for like a normal looking woman and not trying to make herself look haggard, just she looks tired. She looks like, what that woman would look like, right? She lost her son. And basically we saw and noticed her hair when Kevin was going through his stuff, her hair was pretty freshly dyed. And that was the last time she dyed it. I think
0: sharp eyes, nicely done on that. That does get a little bit to, I think something that's been central in the articles that we read for preparing for this. And that is just how much is her being a woman, necessary for this show? And could this be about a guy cop to whom all the same things happened? Is for being 45 years old, for good or bad, out, let's say bad, not a big deal for a man the way it is for a woman. And certainly in Hollywood and for getting certain parts, there are way more for a man of that age than a woman. But for this show in particular, is there some fundamental quality where this... Couldn't possibly have worked if it had been, you know, the genders had been somehow done differently.
2: I think the mother angle, yes, you could still have a story about a father who has issues over a suicidal son, but it wouldn't be quite the same. That seemed like the biggest emotional point. And maybe also the role that friendships play in it, that female friendships more fundamental, certainly with this character. Like, yes, you could probably craft a particular male protagonist that has Comparable emotional things. I do feel like we've seen that more. In fact, the sinner right now that I've turned back to, which is Bo Pillman playing a detective around that age that pulls enough juice. Like most of it is about the actual mystery he's solving that time, but has enough of his little personal life. And that's all I need. I don't.
1: Boy, the sinner is hard to watch, isn't it? I've seen every episode and it is, it is tough. That's a series that never makes you feel good about life. <laughs> Well,
0: I'll have to watch it. I think you're right, Mark. Especially during this pandemic, they've talked so much about how women's, especially women who work and have families, they just are given expectations that they're going to have to do both of them full time. And, you know, it's fine for a male cop to just be a cop and just a parent when he needs to be. Whereas Kate is a full time cop and a full time mother and member of her family And this was sort of that dynamic laid bare for us. And she couldn't escape it as a character, and we couldn't escape it as viewers. And as I've said, that was kind of my trouble with it from a narrative perspective early on, though I've already mentioned how that pays off so well. I don't think I can imagine this being done nearly as effectively if the lead had been male instead of female.
1: I would initially agree with you, but as I think about just the way that both men and women have been portrayed as fathers and mothers... We do traditionally see a mother who cares a little more or works a little harder or whatever. But it's not always the case. I would imagine a series, if you had a guy who was... Even what if you took the guy, her husband, the guy who played her husband, and it was switched. And she had left him because he was trying to hold down a job. And he kind of lost it and lost his temper with her. And she finally had enough. And she found another person. And then he was taking care of the grandson. You know, like, I think it would still be extremely effective. It would just be a reversal of gender norms. But we're already seeing that gender norms are... Sure, we can call it gender norms because, like, overarching, that might be true. But art is pretty interesting when you see it from a new perspective. So it could be pretty awesome. Not to say I want to see that show instead of Kate Winslet's show. I'm a huge fan of her, so... Happy that it turned out that way.
0: So we agree, it's just a failure of imagination on my part. Great, thanks, Erica. Yes.
2: I think this whole show should have had the Deacons at the center of it. It should have just been about them, kind of narrating as flock leaders in this town.
1: That was. Don't even get me started. The whole thing was awkward. With, I, uh, awkward with that.
2: Yeah, the fact that he wouldn't have just immediately gone and taken the bike into the police station, like that, is just maddening. That is just so stupid, I felt like. Was this my just anger at the character or anger at the screenwriters?
0: Well, (laughs) they hired an actor who either has resting pedophile face or (laughs) managed to Uh, have it the whole time.
1: Did you just Uh. make that one up? It's true. I never trusted him. Ever.
0: Which, of course, when his episode happened, you knew it wouldn't be him because it was too early in the show for it to be him. Right. It seemed like it was a fine
2: amount of. I didn't want any more deacon action and reflections on the loss of faith between clergy and flock. Like the fact that he had his nice speech at the end, and it was some pretty good scenes between him and his boss, who is mayor's cousin, who was you know a nice, likable character, and actually having him like hanging out and being non-priestly—that was cool. Like you barely see people in priest robes just hanging out, being in your family on TV. I can't think of another case at all.
1: That's right. I liked that too. The very first time we saw him, right? Wasn't he just like having a drink with him?
2: Yeah. It also seemed in retrospect, probably the right amount of my child was troubled and then eventually killed himself. And how much did he, like they could have shown a lot more of his development over time. So I was kind of curious about it because it is a scary thing that somebody who just has, I forget he was on the spectrum. He had some other health problems younger, but then in dealing with those various problems, he became a substance user and sort of went out of control from there. And like, there's definitely some missing pieces to that story, but I don't know if I would have wanted to sit through that story. That's definitely like a different story and a much more painful one of like, let's just have a whole show that's about how you lose control of your children and they kill themselves. Like,
0: but that's, I think really authentic, that we don't know the whole story. And, you know, Mare doesn't, she reveals some on her date, uh, maybe not her first date, with her, one of her boyfriends. But part of being a woman in full, as I've already pointed out, what they're doing with her is that there are these fragments. And a lot of them aren't resolved. And it's kind of good that we don't know about them. I think I feel like I'm more in her shoes by only getting little bits and pieces of it. How did you feel about the closing shot of the whole show?
2: Describe it, I don't remember offhand
0: hmm. so we've already established that her son hanged himself in the attic, and no one has been up there, and so now she lowers the stairs and she ascends into the attic to deal with it in some way, as it's you know framed beautifully in the most painfully obvious hit the audience over the head with the hammer and revealed how I feel about the closing scene. Did it work for you? Or was it kind of a, come on, man, don't do that to me.
2: I thought it was fine as far as that goes, but then when they had his spirit standing next to Obi-Wan and Yoda, I thought it was a bit much.
0: And then the stinger with Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Thanks, Mark.
1: I, yeah, so I was of two minds about it. Initially, I was like, oh, of course, this is what we have to do to show the personal growth uh, this felt so obvious right on the other hand the kind of cool thing is they didn't just show her opening in and looking she started to walk up it right and i think that's kind of a beautiful image of ascending also obvious maybe but at least there was that element of she's ascending higher while facing something that's also very difficult for her so it worked overall it worked wasn't crazy about it, but it still worked. Do you realize
0: how much more bad stuff would have to happen to her to justify a second season of this? Maybe they could do it like they do in England, where season two will be in 15 years, and she could have 15 more years worth of trauma, and then we can come back, and it'll be series two of Mirror Stone.
2: So I'm trying to remember what Broadchurch season two was about, whether they actually had another mystery in that, but a lot, like a good amount of it was just like in this show, it ends up sort of being someone close to the detectives who ends up being the murderer. So they're actually showing like the trial and going through that process. And there was definitely something interesting about that just because it was a show about, like this show, about the small town and its dynamics and like how it deals with something like this having happened in the small town and how everyone is dealing with that. Like, if that's what your show is about, if it's about people dealing with bad things, <laughs> you can show the aftermath of these bad things. I don't know if that's really
0: enough for a show. but So can we spoil Broadchurch also? Because anyone who's made it this far?
2: I don't know if we need to necessarily do that, but if it's essential to make your point, go ahead.
0: It is. So close your ears, everybody, if you haven't <laughs> seen it. But I think Broadchurch maybe does, in the second season, what was already happening in Mare of Easttown, which is, Olivia Colman does have this personal life, but her real tragedy isn't laid bare until the end of season one of Broadchurch, when it's revealed that her husband is involved, let's say, in the crime. So she really becomes broken and has to deal with that. I think she gets to really sink her teeth into that role, and it becomes much more complex in season two because she's this police detective, but how didn't she know what was going on under her own roof and people don't trust her and she doesn't even trust herself in some ways? It's a, a much heavier lift for her, I think, in season two, whereas Mira's already saddled with a lot of tragedy in just season one of Mira of Easttown.
2: Yeah, and having a whole season just about the Juliana Nicholson character as a miserable mom raising this child for what reason exactly? That was, I've, I was reading criticisms about that, like just the, the dynamics of that. It seems like that child would be placed somewhere else.
1: We all know a woman like that, right? Or a person like that who just takes the world upon themselves and just, I know a woman like that. And I'm always like, what are you doing? I think it can become, I'm not saying it is this for her, but it can become kind of an addiction to just caretake and feel like you're the only one who's going to pick up the pieces. And, you know, maybe she's right. Maybe she is the only one who would pick up the pieces. Although in this case, didn't Dylan's parents want the baby?
2: That is strongly implied but they don't really go into
0: that. There's not. A-
1: yeah, I feel like she had enough on her plate. She didn't need a, the child of her husband and his cousin. He
0: made her promise, and I know, and that little me scene, off. and he kept all his promises. So yeah, there are a lot of choices that they seem a little odd. But I guess in real life, sometimes people do make odd choices. So not to excuse it, but I think that you know we don't know if Dylan's parents still wanted to raise the baby or if. It seems like it was a little weird that the court would allow it to go that way, but mm-hmm. who knows how things work. right? Probably Mare
2: should have taken the baby just to have... One more baby. Just to have... Or uh, build toward a sitcom. Maybe if the sequel were a sitcom of season two, they introduced a laugh track, made it more like Roseanne.
1: <laughs> Brian, you have here on your notes the fake-out of the bathtub non-drowning scene as an irritation. And I am with you on that.
0: What made you so mad about that scene?
1: They were projecting it so heavily that this kid was going to either be injured or killed in that episode. And then it was enough, the way that they were cutting back and forth between that scene and another scene to feel like something really bad was going to happen. And then the fact that they actually went back to him And he's floating in the tub as though he has drowned, and he just pops up, and he's like, "I can hold my breath for a long." No, (laughs) like what? I thought that was just such a stupid way to deal with it. Like it would have been better, I think, if he had started to feel like he was drowning, and she woke up and realized she wasn't okay for it. I just think that him holding his breath, uh,
2: yeah, that's like in a a Friday the Thirteenth where people are pretending they're dead because they're making a joke like that's the, that level of <laughs> manipulation
0: of the audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was total audience manipulation.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was seemed very clumsily done as you've described, Erica. There's a the opening scene of the original Saw movie has someone waking up in a full bathtub and then like gasping and fighting for breath and then popping up in a bathtub and of course they're chained up and The movie saw then goes on to take place. But it's like if you were sleeping in a bathtub, you've already drowned. Like, what is exactly going on here that this movie should not have happened? From the opening scene, it doesn't make any sense. I can hold my breath, mommy. Like, was he doing that for about 45 minutes while she had fallen asleep? There was another fake out drowning scene of a child in a beautiful mind. I don't know if you remember that when John Nash has gone off his pills and he's supposed to be tending to his son. So again, it involves medication and it involves... I think it's just too terrifying to actually show. So they don't, or they do a fake out. I think I was expecting a fake out also.
2: I wouldn't have been surprised if they just actually killed off the child at that point. I I really would not have seemed out, you know, totally off to me. Agreed. That's what I was expecting, the level of torture out of the show. So I think like you, Brian, I enjoy it more like it was compelling enough that I wanted to, you know, I was excited for the next episode to come out. I didn't feel like it was super boring. You know, I was kind of signed up for a slow burn. It was fine, but I definitely liked it better after it was all wrapped up than not knowing, not trusting where this fil- these
0: filmmakers were going to take me. If George R. R. Martin had given us *Mayor of Easttown, that little boy would not have made it. <laughs> Nobody would have made it. If Stephen King, (laughs) this is so (laughs) close to be a Stephen King story (laughs) throughout the whole
2: thing, all there needed to be was some supernatural element to come up somewhere.
0: There was an article, or there was Stephen King was involved in this somehow, calling out on the internet that it was a fake-out regarding who we were being told the murderer
2: was. I guess, yes, I remember seeing that as well, of him tweeting (laughs) his predictions. So I guess he recognized that, yes, it was almost Stephen King's story. If it just, if they had Boston accents instead of Philly accents <laughs> or, uh, you know, Ma- Maine accents, I should say. yeah.
0: And as we're wrapping up here, one last irritation, special shout out goes out to the HBO Max app. Way to not be working right when
1: oh. the finale was
0: airing. I know.
1: I was so glad that I was really tired that night and just started to fall asleep because I was really excited to watch it, but you can't watch it till like, I think 10 o'clock Eastern time. And I started to doze off around like 945. And once I got that text from you, it's like, oh, it's not even working. Like, fantastic. I'll watch it tomorrow when it's actually working. How long did you have to wait?
0: I can neither confirm or deny that I managed to find a way to watch it that evening.
2: <laughs> Brian has his ways. Oh. <laughs> all right, then. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you, Ryan, Erica.
1: Thanks, all. And thank you, listeners. Thanks.
0: Now go watch Mirror Town if you haven't seen it and act surprised. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com.
2: Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.